Hi, and this is Chris Shelton, the Critical Thinker at Large, bringing you another episode of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Um, got a few little notes here for the week, just some things I wanted to make sure everybody was aware of. Um, had a fairly controversial podcast this week with David Silverman, and uh, if you haven't checked that out, I'd, I'd ask you to do so. Um, also, uh, there will be Scientology-related content going up this week on Thursday uh, on the channel. I think you guys are going to be pretty interested in this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it as a total surprise for you as to what it's going to be about. But um, just another thing I've been meaning to get to for a very long time, not, <laughs> not about the e-meter, <laughs> but... Um, but something else that uh, people have asked questions about and I think people are going to be pretty interested in and I'm going to go into some detail on, on this particular aspect of, of Scientology and the Sea Org. So anyway, watch for that on Thursday. I also wanted to put a plug in for my Critical Picture channel. I have another YouTube channel. It's called The Critical Picture and I, I'll, I'll link to it below. Um, but that has movie reviews. I, I separated that out uh, a while ago, and I've been going hog wild the last couple of weeks watching all the Oscar-nominated movies, and uh, and I'm I'm done with that now. And all those are all those reviews are posted, and uh, as well as I'm going to be, uh, I think by the time I get all this stuff done, I'll have a video up on my Oscar picks as well. And I know a lot of you guys, you know, could really care less what my opinions are about movies, but I really do my best to try to put some good movie reviews up there. And uh, being the total cinephile that I am, I thought some of y'all might be interested in what I had to say about that. So uh, anyway, check out that channel too. So anyway, we got a lot of stuff to cover this week on the Q&A aspect of things, so let's get right to it. Ah, indeed. I've heard Aaron Smith-Levin and Mike Rinder refer to the staff of the Tampa Org as flag rejects. What does that mean? How does one become a flag reject? Okay, so flag refers to the flag service organization, which is the large, you know, complex of buildings in Clearwater, Florida, which are service organizations. People fly there or go there to do Scientology services, and that's where they get the highest level Scientology services. FLAG, since its beginning, has had requirements, though, for people to go and do services there. And so when Mike and Aaron talk about FLAG rejects, they're not talking about the, at least I don't think they were talking about the staff of Tampa Org, so much as they were talking about the public, the, the Scientologists who end up going to Tampa Org, because Tampa is right across the bay from Clearwater, from the whole FLAG service organization. And if you, as a Scientologist, wanted the best of the best of service, then of course you'd go over to FLAG. And they offer at FLAG all the services of Scientology from the bottom to the top. It's more expensive to do services there. They charge three to four times as much as they'll charge you at a city level or class five org. Um, but it's supposed to be better service, right? So uh, that's why people pay there for that. Um, but there are, like I said, there are requirements. For example, you cannot be on service at the FLAG service organization. They won't let you do courses or do auditing if you have a suicide attempt in your past uh, because they consider you a security risk. You know, And there are other things that will be considered uh, security risks. Uh, somebody with a terminal uh, illness generally across all of Scientology organizations won't get serviced. 
but they won't even let you on the base. They won't even let you on the grounds of, of flag if you have any kind of terminal illness or, uh, or you know a chronic sort of medical situation or problem. And of course, that goes back to the 1990s and Lisa McPherson, who, who died there, right, in Scientology hands. They don't want to have anything else to do with anything like that. So they put some rather, rather draconian policies in place to keep Scientologists who have any kind of physical problems off that base. Um, I mean, you know, you can go there if you have a sprained ankle or something or a broken leg. I'm talking about chronic physical ailments that they would think would be matters of life or death, okay? That's sort of the dividing line is could this person have something happen to them at the flag base while they're paying for and doing Scientology services that could potentially, you know, have them die, right? Or that sort of thing. They even shipped off, you know, old Sea Org members. They shipped them off to Los Angeles and other Sea Org bases or kicked them out of the Sea Org. Uh, rather than have them be remaining at flag. They're just like, no, nobody's going to die here, right, is sort of the idea. Because they don't want anything even remotely like the uh, PR debacle that they had, sorry, debacle that they had um, with Lisa McPherson there, right? I mean, there were criminal charges. It was it was the closest David Miscavige has ever come to going to jail. So, um, so that is why... If somebody doesn't meet the requirements to do services at FLAG, they'll kick them over to Tampa Org. Now, Tampa can't deliver everything FLAG can deliver, but they can deliver all the way up to getting somebody up to clear, right? Um, if somebody is trying to do the OT levels, and you know, they've gone clear, they've done their lower level services, and they've arrived to FLAG for the upper level stuff, but they can't be at FLAG, They'll kick them out to Los Angeles or UK or Australia. You know, they'll send them somewhere else where the, re where the restrictions are not so tough in order to do their services. And when it comes time to do OT7 and OT8, which, you know, OT7 you can only do at FLAG 6 and 7, um, you know, if you've got one of those out qualifications to be on the base, then you're SOL. You know, there's just no, you're not, they're not going to get on service there. But generally speaking, if a person has gotten all the way up to that level, I mean, unless it's really a matter of life or death, they want your money, they want you there, and they'll figure some way out to make that happen um, within the bounds of their restrictions, right? I never worked at FLAG, so that's everything I just told you is about as much detail as I can give you on it. Um, I never, I was not staffed there. I worked in the Sea Org in Los Angeles, so... Um, so, you know, if you have any more specific questions about that, you can, you can ask me, but I might not know. There you go. Jeremy White. Chris, a question on critical thinking and social justice warriors, SJWs. Just recently, I found myself irrationally prompting some feminists via Facebook. All I did was make a comment that asked a lot of questions because the status poster was speaking on behalf of other people and not just describing her experience. The funny thing is... When I merely asked some questions about her claim, I was bombarded by her fellows, mostly female and some male, with an onslaught of ad hominem attacks. To defend their precious friend being questioned, I was subjected to an unending character assassination. It didn't bother me, but it's interesting to see. At one point, a couple people even commented that I can't just rattle ad hominem as an argument. In the era of the social justice warrior, where they don't follow proper rules of argument but demand that you do, 
How are we to initiate any sort of change or engage in any kind of dialogue? I've always held the view that if you disagree and don't want to have a reasonable discussion about a topic, then you aren't worth my time. But now there are so many of them that it seems we need to find a way to get through. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, social media. Yeah, this has been a challenge for sure, especially in the age of Trump, where I've uh, you know run into some difficulties with Trump supporters on social media who, within a comment or two, are name-calling and labeling me and you know, when I'm trying to present some information that might not be favorable towards Trump. I've also encountered the same thing with SJWs and people on the left who have fairly extreme ideas about um, tolerance and understanding and, and that sort of thing, uh, where they, they demand tolerance and understanding. And if you don't demand, if you don't tolerate uh, them, then they start out with the name-calling and the labeling, and, and uh, that also gets a little old pretty fast. I generally tend to agree with you that if it gets you know, that bad that quickly, I just sort of don't even go there because what's the point? You know, Social media is to engage socially, and it should be rational social discourse, not name-calling and you know, Twitter uh, arguments and, and hate fests. That's, I don't have the time for that, and I don't think other people really do too. There's, there's no reason to get into it with somebody that way if you don't have a reasonable chance of convincing them. Now, on that line, and I think I've talked about this also recently in, an, in another Q&A, um, if, you, if, you, if you maintain calm and rationality and go out of your way to point out what it is about the person's argument or position or statements that you agree with first, right? If you can find common ground, if you originate that common ground, you'll generally find, from my own experience with this, that you'll be get you'll have a more receptive audience to you presenting whatever your disagreement or problem is with what they're saying. Um, I try to establish that sort of thing first especially with total strangers. I mean, people who don't know you, you don't know them. You know, they've posted something that they feel passionate about enough about that they're posting it. And so now you're going to come along and say, well, you're just wrong. Well, you know, good. Prepare for, you know, many shenanigans uh, to ensue. But if you can say, well, look, I see your point about this and this, but I disagree with you about this, right? Then you are establishing uh, agreement and, and here's the thing, right? Um, and this is something that I learned that, uh, actually, I, I learned this. This wasn't Hubbard, but I learned this while I was in Scientology. And I do believe that this is true. And that is that a sales talk or, you know, any kind of, of, of thing you're doing where you're trying to change somebody's mind or convince somebody of something is a gradual series of agreements, not a gradual series of ad hominem, you know, ah, you know, that doesn't do anything. But if you can get a person to agree to one thing, and then you can get them to agree to another thing, you'll find your common ground. And that is the basis of, you know, agreement is the basis of discourse, not, not disagreement, right? And at least rational, you know, calm, uh, measured discourse. So that's how I approach it on social media platforms. I'm not always successful by any stretch, but I have noticed that I am successful more often than not uh, when I really, you know, put myself to it. And that's one of the key principles that I have is try to find common ground and, and agreement. 
and then work on whatever the disagreements are. Also, there's a matter of clarifying one's position and clarifying the other person's position. Because, man, there are so many misunderstandings that happen uh, in text-based com- communication. Because you, don't, you can't tell when the person's being sarcastic. There's no font for that. You can't tell if the person is being ironic sometimes. Like, these are difficult things to tell from words alone. So sometimes it, it will save you a lot of time and a lot of grief by asking the person questions about their position rather than making statements about it. Um, you know, a little Socratic method there doesn't hurt at all. And then, you know, maybe through questioning, uh, you can lead the person to look at things a different way, but, um, but also help yourself to clarify where they're coming from. And that, uh, that served me well also as a principal, right? Um, because I've had plenty of times when people have jumped all over me and I looked at what they said and I thought, how did they, why are they asking me this? What is this doesn't have anything to do with what I just said? But then I have to look at it and go, oh, well, if I, if I look at what I posted in a, you know, okay, in this way, right, then, then maybe, oh, yeah, I kind of see how they could get that, right? And so you, you know, you have to clarify and use the language to, you know, to get your positions clear. I, I you know, I, I've found so many times that, that when I'm in a, you know, this huge argument, disagreement with somebody, uh, you know, through some questioning and some and some granting of of right of their rightness on some things that I can agree with, it 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 really smooths things over. I'd I'd say agreement is kind of the I don't know the oil in the machine that keeps the thing rolling much more smoothly. You know, if you can if you can uh, think with that you know kind of stupid analogy. But anyway, those are just a couple pieces of advice for you because. Um, you know, ad hominem is is all over social media and all over the internet. There are people who who don't understand rhetoric or argument or debate, and they are just gonna just gonna push their positions. And you have to also kind of, you know, so you have to make up for their lack of understanding of that by being even more strict with yourself about how you engage. Because if you engage, you should be in it to win it. You should be willing to go all the way, right? Otherwise, don't even bother starting the conversation. Um, I, again, I've made all the mistakes on this, right? Even up till a couple days ago. So it's not like I'm perfect on any of this. This is just advice that I've found most most useful for me. Um, you know, so you you bring more to it than they are bringing, and um, and don't get into any ad hominem back, right? In a situation, by the way, directly addressing your question, where I was, where I'd be getting it from multiple sources, I just kind of hit the eject button because you've walked into an echo chamber, and you're. It's next to impossible to convince a group of people of something, you know, when you're the lone voice. I, I just don't even bother, right? Why? Why? Why give yourself that kind of grief? Uh, if you're really interested in taking on an individual. And their post or their position or whatever it is they've said that that's you know somehow you know evoked your ire. <laughs> um, try to contact them individually by private messaging or something like that, and engage that way one on one. I've I've always found that to be far more successful than than trying to tear down an echo chamber. Uh, that's that's a losing battle, probably ninety nine point nine percent of the time. So there you go.
Paula Brown. Chris, I have learned a great deal from your series. I have a question about PR. With Scientology having billions of dollars, why on earth do they have such terrible ads? One would think they would hire a high-priced, slick ad agency to do a better job than they do now. These ads that precede every Scientology video are silly. They show the stereotype of robotic behavior and are just plain weird. Also, their spokesperson, the attorney Yingling, could not be worse. She comes across as an evil dominatrix. She is cold and exactly what critics expect from Miscavige. It is bizarre. Is COB that out of touch with the rest of the world? Actually, yeah. The bottom line really is that COB, David Miscavige, chairman of the board RTC, really is that out of touch. And he also just doesn't care what the general public think about Scientology. I've said before that he's not in it to get new members into Scientology at this point. He's just trying to keep the existing membership paying and going and, and keeping on. And the ads that you see for Scientology are almost all made for Scientologists to convince them that the church is doing something to disseminate, to, to get new people in, even though it really isn't doing a whole lot to do that. They have so much money and so much ability to, um, you know, between the, the Golden Era Productions and their new studios and all that, they've got enough stuff there to make some really, really amazing and slick advertising. But to, to address your point of why don't they hire an ad agency, it's because Miscavige is convinced that he knows better than those ad agencies. You know, the last time, I think it, I read an article about this and, and was talking to some, some exes, and I think the last time they actually looked into hiring an ad agency was in the 1990s. And the agency said, hey, look, um, you know, they, they got all the data on Scientology and they said, you know, you guys should stop pushing that you're a religion and push, you know, that you're a self-help group or something. It was something, you know, very, very fundamental and basic like that. And Miscavige was like, bah, screw those guys. And they, you know, and they ignored all the advice and direction that they were getting from the PR agencies, and they decided to handle it all internally. And Scientologists, especially Sea Org members, are pretty out of touch. And they do a lot of surveys, and they think that because they follow Hubbard's advices and policies on how to do surveys, that they have some master technology and master methodology of doing PR. Hubbard wrote many, many policies about public relations and about marketing and promotion. And they follow all those policies and they think that because they do, they've got a better grasp on how to do successful PR than the WOG world, right? The people who are not in Scientology. They're convinced of this. And like people who are in um, destructive cult situations or pretty much anybody who's you know convinced of their rightness, they, their biases make them blind to the truth. And they, you know, it's, it's the emperor's new clothes kind of thing, right? They just can't see the reality of what's actually going on. So, um, so that's why their advertisements, you know, are well-produced, high production value. They don't, you know, they do spend some money putting the things together, but they're creepy, they're weird, and, and Scientologists are out of touch with how the world perceives them. And there's a massive amount of denial that occurs amongst the, in the world of Scientology as to what's, you know, how they're perceived. And this goes all the way up, and Miscavige very much is, he's, he's so isolated. I mean, he won't do any press, he won't do any media, 
And that's why, you know, the only person he can trust is Monique Yingling, who, by the way, is the church's tax attorney, right? And has been since the, since the 80s. Uh, I mean, she's not even like a PR attorney or a legal attorney. She's their tax attorney. And she's the best they can roll out because Miscavige has ruined everybody in the Sea Org who ever had a public face. I mean, Mike Rinder used to be their public face. He took off. Uh, Tommy Davis used to be their public face. He couldn't get out of there fast enough. And uh, while he's still connected with David Miscavige and with Scientology, he, you know, definitely took himself off the off the PR uh, duty, right? Because it's a losing battle. You can't successfully defend Scientology in the public eye. It's, it, 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 there's too many lies. So that's also one of their other problems in doing good PR is they can't counter all the you know black PR that's out there about them because all that black PR is, is true. And they have to believe what Hubbard says and what Miscavige says that it's all that all that black PR or lies and, and misinformation and, and evil apostates, you know, telling our horrible, grim, awful lies about the church. Well, I'm not lying, and neither are, are most other critics. So they can't deal with the truth, right? They can't handle the truth. So they have to come up with this, you know, with when you're living in a world that is that insular and that much of a bubble, you're going you're gonna to present a very strange, uh, you know, persona to the rest of the world. And that's what's going on with Scientology's PR. Jonathan Mark. A friend who I respect has suggested that I read some books by a man who founded a group, not Scientology, that many people say is a cult. I think it might be a cult or cult-like. Is there any harm in reading such books? Or is even dabbling in possible cults dangerous? I hope I am not naive. I agree with logical positivism and other philosophies that I see as similar to what you call critical thinking. I walked out of Scientology in 1975 after one course because I was getting the hard sell to spend more money than I thought was wise. Okay, no, there's nothing wrong with reading a book or looking at material or even walking in and talking to people who are involved in these groups as long as you are maintaining a skeptical, critical attitude. And this is just something you should do all the time. I mean, you know, why, why especially if something is, is perceived as a cult or cult-like, you definitely want to have your radar turned on, you know, your, your, your BS detector needs to be like operating all the time. And you should know, even, even just asking questions and noting the response that you get to asking questions of people who are part of these groups will tell you whether you're dealing with a destructive cult or not. It's almost that easy to see because they don't, you know, the questions don't get totally sequitur answers, or if you dig too deep, they start getting a little, you know, pissy and, and weird. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't want a lot of questions, right? Oh, just read the book, just read the book, just read the book, right? And then you go, okay. And then if you read the book and you do your fact-checking, uh, then you'll determine whether the stuff is true or not, right? Um, but, it's, but it's on you to maintain a skeptical, critical attitude. So provided you're doing that, there's no harm in looking at or reading much of anything, right? Or watching movies or, or talking to people. So, uh, so go for it. <laughs> Thunder Broom Pilot. Are there other techniques Scientology has for personal growth that despite surface silliness may have a validity once one has researched other information sources? 
and what are their techniques for getting one to discover and face up to areas that one conveniently avoids. Boy, it's funny, I just keep getting questions coming at me about, well, is, you know, is this part of Scientology okay? Or, well, what about this part over here, you know? And um, so I'm just going to keep saying the same thing, which is, dude, don't do it, okay? Just stay away from Scientology. I, I'm telling you, there's nothing to be gained in Scientology that you're not, that you're not going to get somewhere else. So just go somewhere else. It's really that simple. You know, I mean, do do, do some parts of, of Scientology have validity? Yeah, sure. Sure they do. But I ain't endorsing any of it. So I'm not going to really um, sit and talk about the, uh, at least in this in the, in this format show, in, the, in my Q&A show, I'm not going to talk about the pros and cons of the communications course or the study tech or any of this other stuff. I am going to get to a series where I'm going to break all this stuff down, and that those videos will see you will see me talking about some pros and some cons to the Scientology methods and and what they call the technology. But as far as my Q and A goes, if somebody asks me about you know should I do some little part, no, don't do any part of Scientology. Just leave it alone. It's it's it's, it's riddled with minds. It's a minefield of nonsense. Okay. Um, and as far as what techniques do they have to make a person face up to, you know, things they're not willing to face up to, well, that's the auditing procedures that they have and the overt and withhold pulling where they make you sit down and write reams of, of moral transgressions you've committed in the past and that sort of thing. You know, those are the things that they have that will get you looking at things or confronting things in your past that you might not be willing to or want to uh, look at now. But I would never recommend that you go do those things. I'd say go see a licensed therapist who's actually certified, board certified, trained, understands what they're doing, and isn't gonna, you know, and isn't doing what they're doing because it's a money making scam designed to introvert you and make you think that everything that ever happened to you is all your fault. That's what Scientology is. So, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with that as the, the, the starting point of what Scientology is, you're not going to get a lot of benefit or gain from that compared to the benefit or gain you can get from other less destructive things. Ascari Navarro. I want to know why is it that the church sends their auditors to many different places for the so-called stress test? What is their expectation for this? Okay, first off, terminology-wise, the people who do stress tests on the corners, you'll see them on card tables with the e-meters, and they're out there in the public trying to you know, sell books. Those aren't auditors. Auditors are people who engage in actual, the, the therapeutic procedure of Scientology, which is the auditing, okay? Uh, they're trained. They have to go through courses. They have to learn how to use that e-meter. You know, that's, those are auditors. The people you see doing stress tests are just any Joe Scientologist who's been shown how to, you know, basically turn the knobs on the e-meter and give a person the cans and, and ask them, you know, tell me about any stress in your life or what is it, you know, tell me about your job or is there anything that's causing you problems or they're, they're just trying to ask questions that will get the person to, to talk, to respond and start giving up personal information about themselves so that the person who's doing the stress, can, stress test can sell them a book or get them to buy a course and start you know, doing services in the Scientology organization. 
that's what the stress test is for and they do stress tests all over the place um, because that's the, the whole goal of, of the stress test is it's an introductory service to, you know, zzz, reel you in. That's what those are for. So it's not auditing. That's that, what you see do, being done on the stress tests, it has very little to do with what auditing actually looks like. It's time for flash answers. Beach81959. I've been enjoying your videos, Scientology or not. I have also been watching some of the protest videos that are available on YouTube. I was wondering, has any Church of Scientology member ever walked away and blown at one of these protests to your knowledge? You see busloads of Sea Org members offloading at Flag or other orgs for their workday. It would be great to see one or two just turn and walk, maybe run, across the street to the protest line. That would be a wonderful thing to see and would be quite the dramatic way to break with the cult. No, it doesn't generally work that way. Protests um, are great at causing some ruckus and some disturbance with Scientology organizations, and they have definitely planted seeds that get a person you know, who's in the church, a Scientologist, to start thinking or wondering or doubting what's going on. But, uh, but there, I, as far as I know, there's never been an instance where a person has seen some protest sign and gone, oh, and, and run away. It's not, you know, you got to get yourself a little into the headspace of a Scientologist, which is that these people are dedicated, they're, they're true believers, they are really into what they're doing, and so you're not going to change somebody's mind like that by just showing them a sign or by dancing around outside the churches, which is what the protesters generally do. I mean, the protesters are having a great time, you know, don't get me wrong. But they're just planting seeds, and that's the best they're going to do at the protest. They're not going to, you know, get somebody to go, oh my God, what am I doing here? I need to get out of this. That's not, you know, that's not what's going on. Charles A. Prince. I know that in previous Q&As, you mentioned that you were planning a book on the RPF. Where is the RPF located? In your podcast with Nora Crest, she mentioned that someone who was at the Celebrity Center who was sent to the RPF walks down to it. Has anyone who was sent to it just said, screw it, I'm out, and just walked away? The RPF, or the Rehabilitation Project Force, are located on Sea Org bases around the world. There's one in Los Angeles in, in the PAC base where the big blue buildings are. There's one at Flag in Clearwater. There's one in Australia in uh, Sydney. There's one at uh, the UK. It's at St. Hill Manor in East Grinstead. Uh, there's one in Copenhagen. So these RPFs are, are geographically located where the Sea Org bases are located. And um, the one that the Celebrity Center goes over to the, the Big Blue complex, right? That's where the CC guys go. Um, and no, I've never... Well, actually, no. I shouldn't say... Um, never. People have been sent to the RPF and said, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And they left the Sea Org. I don't recall anybody just blowing and taking off. Uh, they usually do what's called a route out where they follow, you know, the procedures to leave the Sea Org so they can remain in good standing. Um, there have been plenty of people, though, who have been on the RPF at various stages from the first week to the, you know, two years in to five years in who have said, okay, I'm done, I'm out, and they just took off. They, they jumped the fence or, or ran out the door and, and didn't see him again. So there's, that, that has definitely happened. Stephen Willis. As far as I'm aware, the vast majority of the Church of Scientology's income is from donations, but unlike other cults or many mainstream churches, it doesn't seem to have any recurring income streams. 
The Mormons, for example, have a huge investment arm which is said to earn hundreds of millions of dollars each year from stock dividends and interest it earns. The Catholic Church has vast investments too, also earning many hundreds of millions annually. Apart from maybe some royalties here and there from Hubbard's novels, do you know of any other revenue sources? Could Miscavige have convinced some high-profile members to sign over a percentage of royalties or other income they earn? After all, the tax deduction they'd get could be considerable. Am I missing something here? I think the only thing you're missing is that who said the Church of Scientology doesn't engage in uh, investments? They absolutely do. They invest their money in stocks and, and uh, treasuries and gold and all sorts of things. This isn't broad public knowledge because Scientology finances are, are the most untransparent thing you're ever going to encounter, even within the world of Scientology. Um, but I, you know, I overheard a few things a couple times about investments and portfolios and things like that from the international finance level. And so that, yeah, that absolutely occurs. And I know Scientology, you know, Hubbard's big thing was, was you know, spend money to make money. That's, that, that's Scientology finance policy. So, uh, so they absolutely do do that. And they have also tried to set up some recurring um, payments with the IAS, with the International Association of Scientologists. They've tried to get members to get onto a recurring payment plan, but that's you know kind of voluntary. If they can register you know the guy into it, then great. But it's not a requirement within the the world of Scientology. Okay, and that is our show for this week. I hope that you found these answers interesting, educational, and informative. And thank you very much for coming around. Please leave any comments, questions, uh, criticisms, whatever, in the comments section of this video. I will see them. I will respond to them. I've got this big, long list of questions that keeps growing, but I'm going to keep plowing through and hopefully giving you guys some interesting answers. Thanks a lot, and I'll see you guys next time.